Good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. If you have already turned over with me to Acts chapter 19, I want you to stay there because we are going to be walking through a chapter today, but I thought it might be a bit much to read an entire chapter to you. And so what I want to do is read to you actually from a different book or letter, more accurately, uh, from the Bible that I think really uh, leads us into what we're going to discover in chapter 19 of Acts. So keep your finger there in Acts 19 and just hear the reading of God's Word. Just one verse, but I want to actually read it to you in multiple translations so you can kind of really think on this with me. And that's what, when we talk about Scripture meditation... Talks about that in the Bible, the importance of meditating on God's word. One of the ways you can do that is take one verse, read it multiple times in different translations. So this is going to actually be a meditation on the word of God out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where we read the Apostle Paul, who we're going to actually read about in Acts 19, also wrote this letter to a church in Corinth. And he said to them, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone the new is here. That's from the New International Version, the one that's in uh, the Pew Bible in front of you and the one that I uh, preach from. But another translation, the New Living Translation, or the NLT, says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The Message Translation says it like this. Now we look inside and What we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life emerges. And lastly, from the King James, we read, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. This is the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this promise of Paul in your word that when we are in Jesus, when we trust him, we have new life. And God, as we see in Acts 19, that new life requires some challenges that are well worth any sacrifice that we might be called upon to give in order to walk in this new life. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the scriptures to us in ways that only you can, helping us to understand what's happening here in this chapter and what it means for us and how we ought to live our lives. That we go from this place encouraged that we do not strive to live out the word of God on our own, but Father, that you go with us. As your son Jesus himself said, as we abide in him, we can do all things. Apart from him, we can do nothing, but if we abide in Christ, we have all that we need. So these are the things we ask here this morning as we approach your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We do have kingdom kids today, so we invite our children who are four years old through second grade to join our kingdom kids workers in the back in the foyer, and they will take them over to our education building, which is the cinder block building right next to us in the downstairs area where they're going to have a chance to learn and worship at their level. And uh, we have great Kingdom Kids workers, and they always have a wonderful time learning and singing about Jesus, so we're excited that they have a chance to do that 
today. But for us here this morning, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm trying to get through the book of Acts by the end of May, because as many of you know, uh, the church has granted me a sabbatical over the summer, and so I'd really love to be able to finish Acts before I take some time off when June gets here. And so that means we got to cover a little bit more ground than we usually do. And uh, so I'm looking for some bigger themes in the, in the scriptures that we're, we're reading. And as I read through Acts chapter 19, and, I, and I, I walked through the rest of Acts, and I really tried to find where is a, where's a, a big thought, even within a whole chapter, that we could look to God's word and examine it, okay? And so what I want you to be thinking about, and we're going to take this kind of a section at a time. I don't know this is how we'll always do it, okay? But this is such a large section of scripture. I want to take some big chunks at a time. But as I read through, the word I want you to have on your mind, which is actually the title of today's sermon, is the word disruption. I think what we're going to find in this chapter is to follow the way of Jesus Christ demands a certain amount of disruption in our everyday lives. And if we know anything sitting in 2021 is that things can be disrupted, right? We have experienced disruption. We are not exactly fans of disruption, but there's something good about the kind of disruption that following Jesus demands. So here's, here's the big idea, is that to faithfully follow Jesus, we are going to find that he brings disruption in our lives. Faithfully following The way of Jesus demands disruption in our lives, okay? We begin in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. We're picking up in the story of Paul and his missionary work uh, in uh, the known world, and now we see he's coming um, to Ephesus. We read a little bit about his uh, work. He he passed through Ephesus in chapter 18, and he says, I can't stay. I've got to get back to Jerusalem, but if I can, I will come back to see you folks in Ephesus. And it's exactly what he does. He actually stays here in the city of Ephesus for three years doing ministry. And so we pick up in verse 1. We read in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, while Apollos was in Corinth, we talked about Apollos last week, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? If you remember, this is the big promise of Jesus when he ascends to be with the Father in the beginning of Acts is, Listen, guys, the Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to dwell in you. The Holy Spirit's going to encourage you. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. The Holy Spirit's going to give you the, the courage you need to live out all that I've taught you and take the gospel into the world. That's Not an exact quote, but that is what Jesus is saying, essentially, when he talks about the Holy Spirit coming. And so he's promising that. But these disciples hadn't yet experienced it. So when Paul asks, have you received the Holy Spirit? They say, no. And so, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul says in verse 3, so Paul asked them, what was the baptism you received them? Baptism was a, a religious act, and these guys have been following the apostle or, or had been following John the Baptist and learned from him about a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of preparation. It was, a, it was like a religious ritual to get your hearts ready for what God was about to do in sending Jesus onto the scene. And so they had been following John and learned about John's baptism and underwent John's baptism, but Jesus came to do something to complete 
and to fulfill what John was talking about. And so he's, he's bringing something really, really big and important into the lives of those who are trying to follow God. And a big part of that was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come and live within the disciples. But this had not happened to these disciples yet. They had only done John's baptism, which was about repentance. They had not undergone Jesus's, the, the baptism in Jesus' name, which was for regeneration, which is a fancy word. It means that, the, the, that your life is regenerated in Christ. So you have new life in Jesus, which is what Paul talks about in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So in verse 4, Paul tell, explains this to him. He says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people... To believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, these folks who were following John and believed in Jesus but hadn't received the Holy Spirit, we read in verse six that, or in verse five, that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about twelve men in all. So when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they experienced a disruption in their lives. And I think it's not an insignificant one. We could read past that and just say, okay, they've spoken tongues, which is in this, this language used here in, in Acts uh, verse 6, most likely speaking in tongues would have likely been like what happened um, when Pentecost happened. When the, Holy, when the Holy Spirit first came down and what enabled the disciples, they were able to speak in different languages so that all the people who had gathered in Jerusalem on that day could hear them in their own language. And I think that's probably what's happening here as well. Nevertheless, it's a miraculous event that they were able not only to speak in tongues, but they were able to prophesy, speak forth the word of God. That's what prophesying means. Sometimes that's about a future event. Sometimes it's about the here and now. It's whatever God says, speak forth this word to these people is a prophetic word. And so think about that for a second. If all of a sudden you spoke in a different language and you were prophesying, would that be a disruption to your normal everyday life? For me, I would say yes. <laughs> that would be a bit, of my, a bit of a change to my normal everyday life. But we see in the lives of these disciples that they welcomed this unexpected change. They thought that, they, that there was nothing else needed, but they came to discover through Paul that yes, there is something more needed. There is an adjustment. There is a change. There is a major disruption that needs to happen in your life. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. And the evidence that that has happened came through their ability to speak in tongues and to prophesy. They were willing and they experienced significant change. And I just think about what would that be like as they laid their head on their pillow that night that they had this new experience with God. Do you ever hunger for that? Do you ever want that more than, more than anything else? To have a deeper, more passionate experience of God? Yes, but what if it requires disruption? I think it will. When Jesus comes and says, you're a new creation, he says through Paul, the old is gone. The new is here. There's been a major change following Jesus all the way will be a disruption in our lives. Not everybody's excited about that. 
okay? Not everybody is enthusiastic about Jesus and the message he's bringing and the change that folks encounter when they have faith in Jesus. In verse 8, we read, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months. We've said this before, synagogues like a church for the Jewish folks back in the day. You couldn't always go, and there's still synagogues today, but you couldn't always go to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship. And so you needed a gathering of Jewish folks in a city where you could uh, get together to read scripture and to pray, and it would, would have looked something like what we do on Sundays. So Paul shows up to this synagogue in the city of Ephesus, and he's speaking boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe publicly, um, refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Now, this is kind of interesting because here, you know, who writes this is Luke. He also wrote the gospel of Luke. And he was a doctor, a medical doctor. And he actually followed uh, Paul on Paul's missionary journeys. And this is the first time Luke refers to Christianity, those who believe in Christianity, as the way. And in fact, in the New International Version, at least the 2011 version of the New International Version, it actually capitalized W, way. That this, was, this, was, this has become uh, like a nickname for Christians, the way. And the reason they were called the way is because they, they had a particular way in which they were to follow, and that way was Jesus and if you're a Star Wars fan and you watch The Mandalorian, you, you've already seen the connection, haven't you? This is the way, right? Well, let me tell you, that didn't originate with Star Wars, okay? That, Mandalorian didn't come up with that. That's from the Bible, y'all. The Bible, right here, the disciples are called the way. The whole movement is the way. We, what way are they following? They are following the way of Jesus. What Jesus taught, how Jesus lived. That was the way in which they sought to live and what they sought to teach. And so they became known as the way. And so we hear that here. And what's happening is the folks in the synagogue, they're, they're not really thrilled about what Paul is bringing to them. And so they publicly maligned the way we read. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lectures hall, lecture halls of Tyrannius. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's an amazing thing. Paul did not stop even with opposition. He continued to teach and preach the word of God. And then we read in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits had left. Now, this is all the great stuff that those who resisted Paul and the message of disruption following the way of Jesus, this is what they missed out on. They missed out on the miraculous, extraordinary things God was up to because they said, we don't want this disruption in our life. We like life the way it is. We're comfortable in our own sin and selfishness. They wouldn't have said it that way, I understand. But they were comfortable in their religious norms. They were comfortable in their life. And so they did not want this disruption. Thanks, but no thanks. And it wasn't just that they didn't want it, but they became even violent about it. Resisting, resisting, resisting. And what did they miss out on? Uh, they missed out on the extraordinary. 
Because if you're only willing to follow God in ordinary ways, what you're going to experience is a very ordinary faith. But if you want to experience God in extraordinary ways, you're going to have to walk with God in extraordinary ways, which is going to require disruption. If you're doing the same things you've always done, you're going to get the same things you've always got. And if you're tired of an ordinary Christianity that's been watered down, then you have to go through disruption. Continuing in Acts, verse 13. This is, I think, one of the funniest stories in all of Acts. I mean, I really kind of just laugh. I, just, I want you to hear it and just... I want you to picture what's happening, okay, to a degree. You'll see what I'm saying. Don't, don't get too graphic, but to a degree, I want you to picture what's happening. Okay. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus uh, over those who were demon-possessed. Now, there, there was a fair bit of syncretism. They would take their Jewishness, and they would mold it together with whatever seemed to be out there and popular and working in the world. And we'll take our Jewishness and we'll, and we'll put it together with this other thing and see what we can get out of it. So we see Paul out here healing in the name of Jesus. Maybe they saw that handkerchief touch the person who was sick and get healed. And they say, hey, if we take that, that whole in the name of Jesus thing, and we add it to what we're doing... Imagine what we could bring in. Imagine what would happen if we just add to what we're already doing, a little bit of this Jesus stuff. I mean, it, it could really turn out some business for us. So that's what they're doing. So they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out into verse 13. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit, spirit answered them. This is where it gets funny. I know it hasn't been funny so far, but this is funny. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered all of them. This is where you want to use your imagination, but a little you know, be smart about it because it's going to get a little graphic here. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I think that's funny. You're not laughing yet, but I think that's funny. I mean, these guys are like, let's just add Jesus to what we're doing and see what we can get out of it. And then they meet this spirit that says, listen, I know Paul. I, I know about Jesus. I don't know who you are, and we're going to teach you something here. And what I see in that passage is, is that they wanted the benefits without the disruption. They wanted what they could get in the name of Jesus without actually following Jesus. And I think about this sometimes, you know, back, back in the day, uh, we, we would use this terminology, and uh, I think it's, uh, it'll help make the point. But we would talk about being weary of seeing Jesus as simply fire insurance. Okay, maybe you've heard that before. Like the idea is, I need Jesus just so I don't go to hell. But I really don't have much else use for him in my everyday life. 
And in the case of these seven sons, we need Jesus to be able to be more powerful so we can be more impressive. And I would imagine some of that had something to do with making some money on the side. We, we want that power and that prestige that comes with the name of Jesus, but we don't want to submit to the name of Jesus. And so in, in church life, if you've grown up in the church, maybe you've heard this before, that Jesus is not content to just be your Savior. He demands the disruption of also being your Lord. He not only saves you from your sin, but he saves you for a righteous life that he intends to help you to live right here and right now. So what we want to avoid is any idea or any notion that these guys had that you can just carry on with the name of Jesus. And not experience the interruption, the disruption that allowing Jesus to be Lord would actually bring in your lives. Jesus is not content to be added on to your ordinary life. He's not the salt that just adds a little flavor to your meal. He is the meal. And I think sometimes we become content with him just adding the flavor. He's saying, I want to disrupt everything you're doing. I want to turn everything upside down. I want you to focus everything on me. Live your whole life through me. And these guys were not at all interested in that. They just wanted to use the name of Jesus. Paul continues this story because if you could just picture yourself as a um, an observer to this scene, these guys are going around casting out demons or trying to in the name of Jesus. And then they get beat up by one of these spirits. They run out naked and bleeding. That had an impact, believe it or not. I mean, of course you believe it. I mean, how could it not? If you're an observer and you witness this, I mean, what would go on in your mind? And we see what happens in verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, because how do you not tell that story, by the way? You, if you saw that, you had to tell that story to somebody. And that's exactly what's happening. It says they all were seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. He wasn't somebody you could play around with. Verse 18, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. This would have been the way they made their money. These scrolls were not cheap. In fact, we read when they calculated the value of the scrolls and the total came to 50,000 drachmas. I mean, isn't that a lot of money? I mean, wow, right? Okay, that's five million bucks in today's money. That's not chump change, right? That's a lot of dough. That's a lot of money. That was a lot of money invested in these scrolls that these people use for sorcery. And when they encountered Jesus, they were willing to give that up. Now, they didn't take it to the pawn shop and sell it. They didn't sell it to someone else in the community that was just getting their start in the sorcery business. They said, nobody should follow this. And they burned them, right? In this way, in verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little bit longer. 
What is incredible about that story, I think, is the disruption that Jesus brought in the lives of these folks who either practiced sorcery or were involved in other sins brought about something pretty radical. And if you're wondering, how does that apply to me? L listen to what happened when, when these folks began to understand who Jesus really was, that he wasn't interested just in saving you from sin. He, wasn't, he was interested in sanctifying you and helping you to become righteous and helping you to live the life God has called you to live. When they began to understand that and they realized how far off their life had been, they confessed sin. They opened their mouth and they said, ah, I've gotten this wrong. I've blown it. I've made these mistakes. These are my sins. Let me ask you, church family, when's the last time you have confessed your sins? See, this is a normal disruption in the Christian's life that you have to stop and say, I got that wrong. I'm sorry. I've sinned. Let me confess my sin to you that you might pray for me, that I might experience some kind of healing in my soul. James 5.16. Like that's a normal disruption in everyday Christian life is the disruption of recognizing sin and confessing it. Not just to God. Like if they had just confessed sin to God in their heart silently, we wouldn't have this recorded in Scripture. It's here because they said it out loud. Here's how I've missed the boat. Here's how I've blown it. Those are all ways to say Here's my sin. For us as Christian, the normal disruption of our lives should be that moment where the Holy Spirit convicts us and brings us to the point where we have to share our sin and confess it. And that is such a good thing. I know it sounds like it's not a good thing, but it is a good thing. Because every time you, you apply the ointment to a wound, the wound gets better. When you confess your sin, what do you do next? You remember and apply the, the, the ointment of grace to your life and you're reminding yourself again and again of the grace of Jesus and how he has covered that sin and how he has forgiven that sin with his very own life and how he has called you out of that sin to a different way of life. Like every time you confess sin, that opportunity is there to apply the ointment of the gospel and that is good. Is very, very good, but it, it is a disruption. It is a moment that can happen in everyday life where we are disrupted in our thinking that we're pretty good people. We're disrupted in our thinking that we've got this under control. We're disrupted in our thinking where we think, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm sure better than those other people. A confession of sin through the conviction of the Holy Spirit it's a disruption to your life and mine that we desperately need. Brings us back to reality and applies the grace of Jesus to us. Now this last part, this last part that we see is the long part, okay? All of this is building to a moment where there's going to be friction between Christianity and the culture in which it is presiding here in Ephesus. There's going to be this, this, this collision between the two. Because you can't get along with both as we saw with the sons of Sceva. Jesus will not be ha He's not happy with just being combined with everything else. 
There's going to be some kind of friction between following Jesus and going the way of culture in our world. And we see that happening right here. So what's about to take place is in the city of Ephesus, and I'm thinking it may be too long to read. This is a lot to read, okay? And so I think I'm, I'm going to try the best I can to just kind of uh, tell you what's happening here without reading it verse by verse. But people are growing concerned because Ephesus is, it is a city in which uh, the temple of Artemis resided. And that probably doesn't mean much to you, and that's okay. But the temple of Artemis was known as one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. Their social life revolved around this temple worship of this false god, Everything about their culture bent towards the worship of Artemis at this temple. Now, it's not just that they worship him, but, but commerce is revolving or, or is involved in this as well. Because not only would they worship this god Artemis, but guess what? You can have an Artemis in your home. We'll carve you a little statue. You can take it and put it in your bedroom. Guess what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring you, you know, some good luck. It's, it's, gonna, it's going to pay off. You worship this idol, but guess what? We'll give you something to put in your home that you can worship to remind you of this great god, Artemis. Now, it's not uh, hard to understand why that would be concerning to the people in Ephesus. So what we've just talked a lot about is the disruption that's happening in the Jewish world because of Jesus. Now we're going to see the disruption that's happening in the Gentile world because of Jesus. Listen, if if Jesus is the way into the blessings of God, then we don't need this idol anymore. People connected the dots. They saw where this was going. If everybody listens to Paul, if everybody follows Paul, we're out of business. We can't make the trinkets and sell them anymore. Our whole, our whole commercial business here is gone. Not only that, but our social life is going to have an incredible disruption because one of the greatest things we've got going for us is this temple worship of Artemis. I mean, we've got the greatest temple in the world. I mean, it's, it's on the seven top, top seven list, y'all. It's incredible. All this is going to go away if we let this guy keep talking about Jesus. And so you have these riots. Um... Again, it's a long section. Uh, They end up in this theater that held like 20,000 people. I don't know how many were in it, but we know it held 20,000. And the mob pushes uh, some of Paul's disciples into the theater to accuse them, and it's just a huge riot. Paul wants to go in and talk some sense to the people. And everybody that is around Paul says, dude, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Don't put yourself in the middle of that. You know, it's not your time to go. You know, it was kind of like, that's what they were thinking. You know, stay safe. God has other work for you to do. But this is still happening to the people that came with Paul. And so, so of course, Paul feels uh, a sense of responsibility. And he wants to be able to speak up for them and all that. And, and, and his friends, uh, I think, rightly keep him from making that decision. Uh, the city clerk comes in the midst of this crowd. And one of the things you have to understand back in the day is that Rome was in charge of everything. And so if they had any inclination that the guy who's in charge of that city can't keep the peace, they'll just replace that guy. 
They may even bring down some pretty harsh punishment on that city for being unruly. And so that's what they're concerned with. The, the city clerk comes out and he's like, you know, listen, guys, we've got to calm down. You know, we've got courts for this. There's a way to handle this. This is not the way. We're not going to do this. This is going to get us into trouble. You guys need to think. This is a bad idea. And it all just kind of fizzles out. And then in verse 1 we read that when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. I think this is a good capstone for all that we have talked about this morning. That these Ephesians, these Gentiles, were absolutely right. If Paul kept preaching Jesus and everybody followed Jesus, it would be for them an unbearable disruption to their everyday life their economic life, their social life, their religious life, all was going to get turned upside down. I just want to say it is not different today. Don't think you can just salt your life with Jesus. He's not interested in selling you fire insurance. It's not what he's about. He wants to come in and disrupt our everyday lives. Earlier in Acts 17, I believe it is, one of the complaints about the disciples is that they were turning the world upside down because of the name of Jesus they preached. It, wasn't, it didn't start with the world being turned upside down. It started with the disciples' lives being turned upside down. I say that, but I understand it's, 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 it's a frightening thing to truly make Jesus your Lord and say, okay, Jesus, you are the boss. I'm not calling my own shots anymore. I want to say this. I want to do this. I want to spend my time this way. I want to spend my money this way. I want to act this way. I want to hold on to this attitude. Like all of that gets put on the table and say, Jesus, I'm surrendering this to you. My attitude, my actions, my calendar, my pocketbook, all of it, I'm surrendering it to you. That is not uh, an easy thing to do. That can be kind of a scary thing to do, to let someone else have that kind of control over your life. I don't think we should water that down at all. I think we got to look at that with, with, with some honesty and open eyes and say, yeah, that's a big deal. It's a big deal for Jesus to be the Lord of my life. It's not a small thing where I just, I get baptized and I go to church and every once in a while I read my Bible and, you know, maybe I'll help out here and there and, and I'll just, I'll salt my life with Jesus. Jesus says, I want to be your Lord and your Savior. So these folks in Ephesus, these, these uh, Gentiles, these folks who are wrapped up in this uh, idolatry, they were not wrong. They were absolutely right. If you let Jesus run amok here, he's going to turn everything upside down. But here's the other side of that. He's not really turning everything upside down. What he's really doing is turning everything right side up. He's taken a world that's become broken and he's bringing healing. He's taken a life that's been lived in selfishness and sin, and he's bringing them back to the very reason they were created, which is to have a relationship with God in the first place. He's taking the wrongs and he's making them right, but it is a disruption. It is not easy. 
And my comfort is to know that when I hand my life over to Jesus, I'm placing my life in the hands that are scarred by nails. That's who I'm giving my life's control over to. God in the flesh who would give his life for me, that's who I'm I can trust that God. I can trust that even though it's scary, he will always have my best interest at heart. He will always love me no matter how faulty I am because those scars tell me he knows. He knows who I am and he loves me as I am and he is willing to go through great pain to bring me out of where I once was into the way, into alignment with him. He's willing to bring me through that kind of disruption. The question is, am I willing to go? Let's pray.